Richards Bowie Versus Tillian Is this year when I'm glowy Am I killing? I hope it's not a blowy Or a villain It's time for Bowie versus Dillian. Welcome once again to Bowie versus Dylan. I'm Charlie and I like Bowie. And I'm Jake and I love Dylan. This week we are taking a look at the year 2007, which yeah. was kind of a nothing year for both of them. But not that but long ago. we're going to stretch it out with uh, a liberal use of puns and <laughs> gentle jibing of one another, just like we do every week. Right, Jake? Yeah, that's how we do, dingus. <laughs> More like big... Oh, shoot, it could come out with a pun. Yes, dingus, dingus, dingus wins! Oh. More like dingus. <laughs> More like Bowie stinks, and he's... Oh. Yep. Jake, let's let's not say things we can't take. <laughs> good thing this you isn't took it too far. Good thing this isn't not, recorded for. Anymore. Good thing this isn't recorded for posterity forever and posted on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. Well, Jake. Yeah. You're starting things off, right? With yeah. 2007. I tell sh- us about the nothing of Dylan in 2007. Yeah, there was really the nothing this... of Bowie in 2007. But <laughs> we're keeping we're keeping it interesting. I think Keep maybe anyway. I think maybe the podcast is about finished. This has been great. <laughs> I'm Jake, and I love right, well, Dylan. Next month, we're taking a look at later. <laughs> uh, no, there was some things that happened in 2007. Now, <clears throat> I don't know if this has been mentioned before by me about Dylan, but he was doing a little touring. <laughs> Just a little bit, since 1988, continuously, oh, every saying, single not, year. Not the 20th anniversary of the anniversary. It's not, no, it's, it's like, um, you know when you turn 19 and it didn't mean anything at all? Like, it wasn't... I think Oh, well, fine. It I meant, something, okay? I meant the society the at rest, large. All the rest of you, you know. Except for all those leave. that were born on the 19th in any month. <laughs> uh-huh. So, right. I'm sure we could do a little uh, kind of statistical analysis of how many people in the world that is, and then break it down into our, our audience. I mean, it's got to be like, <laughs> it's got to be you, and that's it. Somewhere, somewhere around 3.5% of the population. 3.5%, is that what it is? Yeah, something like 365 that. divided by... No, never mind. Okay, so uh, it's kind of like uh, my metaphor has been lost to the sea. It's over. Uh, 19th anniversary of the never-ending tour. It was a totally Woo-hoo! totally normal, totally typical, not bad, not outrageously fantastic uh, year. So he did that. So that happened. He released a Greatest Hits collection called... Volume 3? No. Volume well, 4. No, there is this... The, they're done with volumes now. This is oh, this is just called... Um, uh, somebody at the marketing department got a raise for this. It's called Dylan. <laughs> uh, Dylan. Oh. So... Dylan. As I do, when I go on the Google machine, I type in Dylan 2007 to see what kind of news uh-huh. is fit to print. <laughs> it was like... You have eight billion responses, and they were all—they were all about this greatest hits collection. You know, not just like listing it. Oh, here it's available. Uh-huh. Here, here's a review of it, et cetera, et cetera. It took uh-huh. me a while to get to the meat on the bone. How many places was it for sale, Jake? How many? It was available at five billion places for sale. <laughs> oh, and they returned. I 
It returned my query in point zero 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 one seconds. <laughs> yes, it did. Yes, it did. No doubt about it. So, this is a career-spanning greatest hits. It was his first career-spanning greatest hits ever, uh, besides number one, of course. Volume yeah, one sure, would, sure. at the time, have been career-spanning. Yeah. Um, it debuted at number 36 in the U.S. and number 10 in the U.K. It was a... Hey, good one, U.K. There was a single CD version, which... I don't know how you stuff a person like Dylan onto one CD, but whatever. Yeah, that's and then weird. There was a, in 2007. Yeah, yeah. So this is 10 years that's after... A that's a lot of material. Time Out of Mind. So I think they were trying to kind of... He'd been, he'd been on a little bit of a, uh, a cultural renaissance tour the last few years. In, 20, yeah. in 2005, uh, there was the Martin Scorsese documentary, No Direction Home. Oh, yeah. I yeah, was which was good. a pretty big deal. And, uh, and then in 2007... No way, I didn't see that. I thought, I'm not there. I'm not there? Yeah. We're, yeah. yeah. Wait, is that what you were about to talk about? Did yeah. I take it away from you? Yeah, you sure yes. did. Yes, I didn't know it was 2007. You're not, but you're, I, anyway. you're not there. Yeah. You're not no, even you, there. You talk about it. I don't even talk about it yet. I'm still talking about the stupid greatest oh. hits, dummy. <laughs> Go back to the greatest <laughs> hits. Sorry. There's just nothing going on. I'm manufacturing content for us. I didn't see No Direction Home, sorry. Okay, that's okay, it didn't I happen. Thought, I it, thought I'm not there, I liked that. Yeah, I know, I'm going I'm to talk about it. Okay, well, I'm going to talk about it too at the time, and about how I liked it. In a minute, just a minute, that's what my kids say to me whenever I ask them to do anything anymore. Just a minute, just a minute. So, does that annoy you? Well, yeah, that's what my kids say also. Well, <laughs> the, two that, the two that can talk. Yeah, I think, I think my baby's going to start saying just a minute, any minute. In just a minute. In just a minute. In just a minute. Oh, anyway, uh, Dylan Greatest Hits also had a deluxe edition. This was a 3D, three CD box set with 51, now we're talking. 51 tracks. Um, it was a little bit, so obvi- this tacked on everything, you know, as well as the career span. It tacked on everything past Greatest Hits Volume 3, which happened in 1993. Okay. Did we do, ni- no, 94. 1994. Um, okay, yeah. So that would include Time Out of Mind and a bunch of other stuff, you know, yeah, yeah. past that. So, you know, I'll give it points later. It's no, it's no big deal or anything. Yeah. It happened. His first his first in a while, anyway. And then, Charlie, we're going to just... Oh, and off of that, actually, it wasn't on this, but it was a single released to coincide with it, The Greatest Hits, um, a remix and reimagining of... The 1966 classic off Blonde on Blonde, most likely you'll go your way, parentheses, and I'll go mine, end parentheses, uh-huh. end quote. Uh, Did they now, put a sick backbeat on it? Now listen, club ready? here's what happened to me, Chaz, and I'll, I'll let you know that I had a little bit of a, I almost had a heart attack. I'll tell you why. I went on... Was it, was it because of a sick backbeat? <laughs> yes. Club ready 1966? The backbeat was so slick. <laughs> Sick, that I became sick as well. Oh, there's those, those puns we were talking about. Well, it's more of a word on play word. Word on play on words. That that's like, more that like difficult to say apparently. That's more like saying just a minute in just a minute. <laughs> yeah, neither one of those are actually puns. Though. That's not a we pun. Puns at the beginning of the that's even less clever than I'm usually uh, <laughs> pun based. <laughs> Anyway, oh, yeah, I, 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 I was looking through, as I do, on, the, on the, uh, the Wikipedia page, you know, going through, oh, did he release a single this year? Did he, you know, what album? Yeah. This, that, the other thing. What compilations, etc. 
and I saw most likely you'll go your way and I'll go mine 2007 and I was like oh okay and I clicked on it and all I saw Chaz all I saw you know besides my own deliverance was the last name Ronson it said remixed and reimagined by Ronson and I was like what and I was like, wait, 2007? Chaz keeps telling me he's dead. Has he been, has he been, has he been lying to me? Has he been holding this? Oh, is this a long con or, or <laughs> what is awesome. happening? I I that. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. I would have done that to you, Jake, but I couldn't let down the fans like that. The f- I know. Thank you. I mean, the, the fans, thank you. Uh, yeah, I know. I looked, you know, after I passed out and came to, I looked again. <laughs> And what had happened is it didn't say Mick Ronson. It said Mark Ronson. Oh. Do you know who Mark isn't Ronson like, is? Yeah, isn't he like a shiny, fancy-pants producer? And Definitely. I just work with, like, I don't know, all those hit singles that I don't really know anything about. <laughs> There's only one hit single that you would know anything about, yeah, but it's like the most ubiquitous hit single. Is it Uptown Funk? That's it. Funk? You're a, yeah, it's, it's Mark Ronson featuring Bruno Mars, I believe. Uptown okay. Funk. Why do you think Bruno Mars featuring Mark Ronson? Because Mark Ronson wrote the song. Yeah, but Bruno Mars is one of the guys like performs it and gets his name on it, right? Yeah, I know, but that's what I'm saying. You should look it up, but I think it's Mark Ronson featuring Bruno Mars. I might be wrong. Oh, that'd be crazy. Yeah, because I've seen his name before and thought, oh, Mick No. Totally. And that's what happened to me. Um, and so... In 2007, obviously, he had not done Uptown Funk yet. He had, re- he had released a couple solo albums, but more famously, he had worked with Amy Winehouse on her 2006 album, okay. Back, Back to Black, which was a right. huge hit. Yeah. Um, and he, he worked sometimes with the Daptones, who are a very famous backing band who worked with Sharon yeah. Jones and uh, Charles Bradley and other neo-funk yeah. soul uh, purveyors. That uh, music is actually really awesome in my mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. However, however, I listened to "Most Likely You'll Go Your Way" and "I'll Go Mine," the reimagining, and I there was Can a. Can you make that into a stupid acronym? Please? <laughs> uh, let's just call it. <laughs> let's call it uh, Milk Guai. I'll go mine. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Let's keep, keep it going with that milk, one. Yeah. Milk Y and like Go Mine. Yeah. <laughs> that rolls off the time much better. I think I suffered a traumatic brain injury when I fell off my chair thinking it was Mick Ronson that reimagined a Bob Dylan song. <laughs> and I can't talk straight. So to my ears, this thing sounds weird to me. So it's, it, it sounds like a mid to late 2000s neo-funk but I think more of the instruments than not are are maybe um, programmed or maybe electronic or something. Okay. And it sounds slick and overproduced to me. It has. Yep. It has Dylan's voice. That goes without saying. Yeah, but I, I had a bit of a an issue because Dylan doesn't do this. This is the first yeah. remix I've ever heard of a Dylan song. I'm pretty sure. That's interesting. I've, at, at least a. a are you saying that he's not released like six or seven on every one of his singles since <laughs> No, I have... 1984 to 1984, because that, I mean, I won't name Jane Nance, but I know <laughs> I think that's everybody else's normal experience, except for, except for mine, I guess. Uh, it sounded really weird. It sounded really bizarre and foreign, and to have his voice, and of course this is a song I've heard 
a hundred times at least. Yeah. You know, it's not like the best song on Blonde on Blonde or anything, but all the songs are the best song on Blonde on Blonde. So certainly I've heard it a million times. And it just sounds really divorced from the original. I don't I don't think it really added anything to it. It was it was a strange yeah. a strange experience for me. So anyway, yeah. I had that. Um, also in 2000. Yeah, why, what, I mean, what, what's the deal with messing with like really good songs? I don't know if it was meant to, you know, he was this Mark Ronson, not just him, but that sound was very, uh-huh. was very hot at that time in a, well, I mean like why, what is the purpose in taking a, you know, semi-classic song from a very classic album from yeah. 1966 and just yeah. making a new version of it in 2007? I don't know. Now to talk about Bowie for just a second here. Cause can we? Can we? Well, in the in the recent box Bowie box set, Loving the Alien, right? They did this, but they did it to Bowie's worst album. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like that's a more like compelling. That thing sounds to interesting. Because see, for years Bowie talked about this, and he had he had this done. Oh my gosh, I gotta look up something. That might be. Hold on, I'm I'm gonna save that thought for later. Okay. Uh, but he had this done to he he kind of like thought that the songwriting was decent on nineteen on, on Never Let Me Down his nineteen eighty seven album. Yeah. But that the production and you know it's so incredibly dated was awful. So he wanted for a long time to remake it, and then uh, they did it. I mean, he died, but they did one of the songs while he was still alive, and the other ones he did uh, after he died. Like that's a more interesting thing, like to take to try to stay. Sure. Well, uh, you know, and, and like, and Dylan's got, you know, Dylan's got tons of stuff like that. that are, you talked about it. The good songs that are buried under awful production and, oh, and, uh, oh, for sure. and stuff. So that'd be compelling to take one of those songs and try to, like, make it as good as it could be, you know? Yeah. And I mean, we're talking about some very major differences between our two artists' mindsets. Because sure, sure. that sounds like something, because I, what I've heard about Bowie, I was reading recent reviews of the new box set, the Loving the Alien box set. Yeah. And, um, and I didn't know this about about that period, but um, Bowie was pretty into slagging his eighties. Like he didn't, he knew they weren't. Good. Oh yeah, almost immediately. Before yeah. the eighties were even done, he was he was done. Right. He yeah. And I and I think you know Dylan didn't like his eighties either. But Dylan Bowie seems to be the kind of person or artist that would that would go back and attempt to reconcile that. Whereas Dylan, I don't think he ever looks back. Really, he just goes. Yeah. He just is like that happened. <laughs> I'm done now. Yeah. Um, so I'm not. I mean, obviously, he would have had to sign off on this on this remix, um, and it's right. not. And it's not embarrassing. It just doesn't sound right, you know. Yeah. It sounds a little weird. All right. So we have not alluded to the next thing that Dylan um, did or was involved in in 2007 in any way. I don't think you've seen it. It's a movie called I'm Not There. <laughs> Wait a minute. It sounds familiar. <laughs> was this a documentary by Martin Scorsese? It was not. That was No Direction. Oh, okay. No Direction Home. Oh. Yep, that was 2005. This is 2007, and Chaz, uh, you may also know this, but I just want to clear the way. Um, I don't think I've given a BVD award yet, especially one uh, a Bowie versus a Bowie versus Dylan award, especially one that I know will cover both of our guys. Okay. This is the BVD award for preferred director and or best director who totally gets it. And do you know? Do you know why? No. Because not only in 2007 did he make a quasi-biographical, you know, uh, I don't even know how to describe this movie. I'm not there. It's a weird movie. About, totally about Bob Dylan and nothing else. Mm-hmm. He also, in 1998, made a movie called Velvet, Velvet Goldmine. Velvet Goldmine. I haven't seen Velvet Goldmine, but 
that uh, involves the lives, like fictional but not fictional lives, of David Bowie, Iggy Pop, and Lou Reed in the late 70s. Yeah. That's the same named director. After, named after an obscure B-side by David Bowie. Yeah. Who refused them any rights to his music <laughs> in that movie. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Who did not, was not, not, not on board for it. Oh, Dylan was like... I have not, I have not seen that, but um, Bowie snobs don't like it. I do know that. Oh, he didn't like it at all. Apparently it simplifies Bowie down to just glam, and then simplifies glam's down. Glam's down to just being like, you know, kind of racy and gender bending, and that's it. Oh, okay. All right. All right. So I I have not seen it. I never saw that movie either. Maybe we get to 1998, I'll I'll dig in. Who knows? Oh, you should. I think you probably should. At least you can find out why he hated it. Uh, Yeah. Dylan, Dylan said, here, have all my music, because there's so much... There's so much Dylan music in one way or the other on this movie. So yeah. So this movie, I just I want to explain it just a little bit and then <clears throat> give a little backstory about each of the um, each of the components of the movie. Quick, since I have literally nothing else to talk about, <laughs> uh, and I didn't oh, want to do uh, I didn't want to do another Bob's Bula base because we did that just last time. Just so last time. I'm letting it breathe a little bit here. Um, <laughs> the movie was like a fine Bujolet. Like a fine Boujolet, right after a delicious bowl of Bob's Bula Base. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you got to let it breathe a little bit. Right, right. Let yeah. it breathe. Yeah. Uh, so the movie examined Dylan's careers as a series of, quote, masks or characters. Um, and these characters weren't as obvious in Dylan's life and in his career as they were in, say, Bowie's, where he was like, I am now the yeah. thin white duke. I am now this. Yeah. I am now that. Um, right. But Dylan, you know, had these periods, especially in his younger career, where he went from thing to thing. It was like, well, now I'm a, now I'm an earnest folky. Now I'm a political protest oh, yeah, singer. Yeah. Now I'm a goofy love singer. Now I'm a country artist. Now I'm, now I'm the best singer-songwriter of the 70s, the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so another Bowie-esque theme, this is, I, I was thinking about Bowie during this movie yeah, um, because of the way that Bowie uses, deliberately uses these masks or these characters throughout his career. Right. Um, and also um, what I'm about to say, which is that uh, Kate Blanchett is in this movie as mid-60s oh, yeah. Bob Dylan. And... There was a theme here that was Bowie-esque that I didn't really realize. She's was, the most obvious one. Oh, she's, she's like the she's most obvious just, of the Dylan. She looks just like him too. Oh yeah, it's crazy. Um, it uh, it just involves our old friend Androgyny, which we don't talk about. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah. you know? he's so he's so you know not he's not a beefcake or nothing, but Dylan's like no. mas- he's masculine. Like that's what that's yeah. what he is. Yeah. For better or for worse, he's like yeah. very manly in in a certain way. But in the mid-60s, in 1965 and 66, especially while he toured Europe, and this is the part that Kate Blanchett plays, he's just really, like, quite effeminate, and he's not quite masculine, but he's not quite... He doesn't seem like a girl, but he doesn't seem like a boy, either. You know, Uh like, with the nasal voice, he had the really long hair, he was impish, he dressed very stylishly. Um, So I thought that was interesting. I'd say that's the only... That's the only portion... And it took Kate Blanchett's performance, I think, to sort of bring that out. But um, some other of the characters that that are portrayed as Dylan 
but uh, but with other actors and that, that kind of thing. It's, and they have different names, right? They don't actually yeah. have names of Dylan, correct? No, none, of them, are, none of them are named Dylan. Dylan only appears in the very final frame, blowing a sweet harmonica on <laughs> Mr. Tambourine Man from the 1966 European tour. Just like... <laughs> it's like tasty licks on the tambourine. <laughs> you guys don't harmonica sound like that? <laughs> You can only blow tasty licks in so many instances <laughs> on a harmonica, but Dylan, during that time, was he was ripping it up. He was like Mark Ronson for harmonica. <laughs> um, there's little, there's little Woody Guthrie. Wait, Mick or Mark? What? <laughs> Wait, Mick or Mark? Oh, um, Which Ronson are we talking about here? Oh, from now on, we're never mentioning Mark Ronson ever again. <laughs> He's not a Mick. He never was. He made me think he was. There's only one Mick Rodson. He's deceased, we think. Uh, I even checked to see. I even checked to see if Mark Ronson was at all related to Mick Ronson. Yeah. But no, nothing. Too bad. Too darn bad. I believe Mark Ronson's career and life and emotions would be better if he was related to Mick Ronson. I think everyone's would, Jake. I think yours and mine would. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I'm thinking about it right now. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. so the characters the characters in the movie who are intertwined obviously by being avatars for different stages of Bob Dylan's career but also the timeline is all screwy so it keeps going back and forward and back and forward um, there's little Woody Guthrie this is kind of like a little character of Bob he's played like a, by a little African American um actor named oh, 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 I have it right here because he was oh Marcus Carl Franklin um, this is this is like the the guy that came to New York and said he had been everywhere and done everything and yeah, he was wise beyond why. his years and he you know he worked in a carnival literally in the movie and he was a hobo and he rode the train and no one could believe he was that young he was 11 in the movie which is kind of interesting. Oh yeah, okay. I'm just coming back. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. We just watched it. The, we just watched it the other night. It was okay. it's, it's a good movie. I mean, you can speak to it that. Is, I remember really liking it. Yeah. yeah, you can speak to that in a minute if you'd like. There's the 19 to 20 year old uh, Rimbaud character, Rimbaud, the named after the French poet who Dylan worshipped when he was when he was a young writer. And this is like yeah. the interview avatar. So this is this snide like. Uh, you know, totally unconscious kind of um, kind of interview style that Dylan was practicing in the in '65 and '66 when he would answer things you know, questions okay. that was, like that was the Kate Blanchett one, right? No, no, this is another actor no, whose what? name oh. I don't know. This actor, he looked familiar, but I didn't look up his name. He kind of is like interstitially cut, and I think all he says are things that Dylan said, actually said. Okay. Um, which is really interesting. He like sits yeah. there and smokes. Everyone's smoking unfiltered cigarettes the entire time. Well, I got yeah. I got a stomach ache and like I got sick just watching them all smoke this much. That's interesting because I am smoking unfiltered cigarettes <laughs> right <you>? now. <laughs> I've got three in my mouth. <laughs> oh man! He, so if it sounds like I'm mumbling, it's not. It's just all the cigarettes I've been holding my mouth. I don't know how. All talking on the phone. I don't know how people lived like literally lived back then. Like Dylan is smoking, well, and if you if you watch Don't Look Back or any of the other documentaries and interviews from back then, he is chain smoking, unfiltered cigarettes. Everyone's smoking all the time. Anyway, oh yeah. The third character is named Jack Rollins, and this is this is two this is two people. Oh wait, hold on just a second. 
No, this is, yeah, this is two people. This is the folk superstar from 1963, who all the uh-huh. lefties and, and beatniks all loved, and uh, the liberals and stuff held him up in high regard. He's played by Christian Bale. But Christian okay. Bale also plays a later version of Dylan called the, 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 born, one, the right? born again Christian one. And in yeah, this version, right. I think, is really fascinating because born again Dylan in real life did this for a good three to four years, like went full tilt. Uh, uh-huh. but, but then he, he just continued to be a musician and stopped being so um, you know righteous on stage and all that kind of stuff and started singing his old songs and all that stuff again. In the movie, Born Again Christian Dylan goes on and becomes a small-time ordained minister in California. And so they, they play it off like he ends up being that for the rest of his life. And there's like a great scene where he's in kind of a church basement leading like a kind of a new agey worship service. There's like 12 people there and, you know, he's singing, he's singing one of his songs and everything. But um, part of this movie is that some of these characters are, you know, what would have happened if Dylan continued on these paths or something like that yeah. instead of just trading it in for something else. Um, there's Sarah Dylan is played by Charlotte Gainsborough, Gainsburg, who you know. Okay. Not yeah. Per- not personally. I like, I like music. her music and yeah. jazz music. Me too. And her dad's music. Uh, she plays, uh, what's, I don't know what her name was in the movie. She's clearly Sarah Dillon. And then uh, Heath Ledger is, is the jerk divorce Dillon. He, okay. he also plays like a superstar movie star version of Dillon, like a James Dean character. Okay. Um, Dillon was kind of into that for a little bit, trying to be a movie star or some sort of you know, teen icon or something like that. Um, and this is, like, this is kind of a, a trope for all of Dillon's relationships. All the early ones that are famous that, you know, all fell apart and that kind of thing. There's some pretty wrenching scenes of, you know, him getting, or, yeah, him getting divorced and all that kind of stuff. Uh Then there's Kate Blanchett, who we already went over. I just want to give a quick shout out to David Cross, who plays Allen Ginsberg in this movie. Oh, man. He is hilarious. And I, I don't as, remember that part, but as man, far as I can, I can tell, picture David Cross as Alan Ginsberg. As far as I can tell, that was like exactly how Alan Ginsberg was in the mid <laughs> And then the last one is Richard Gere playing like a country Bob Dylan, also Billy the Kid, who moves out to the country to get away from it all and like stays okay. out, stays out there, like does his best to. So Woodstock doesn't pop up next door to him. Nope, Woodstock like doesn't pop up, and he never goes back. Okay. He's, he's kind of forced to at the end of the movie because they're building like a highway through his weird town. The town is populated with basement tapes characters. <laughs> so all the like bizarre people, yeah. all the bizarre songs he wrote, like all the characters and all the buildings and everything in this town are like this bizarre, you know, ancient America world. Now, that's all the characters. Uh, most of the I movies. Bo- I want a Bowie version of this movie. You, it would be great. It would I be would, great. I would love it, especially if they had his actual songs and stuff. It's, like, exploring all his personas. That's about the criticisms yeah. I heard about Velvet Underground. It's just his glam persona. Right. And so you it's want all of that. I, I mean, this movie, in for a Dylan fan, it's just like, it's kind of a, it's kind of a generous gift. <laughs> it's, like, <what? laughs> it's like, what is this movie? How did they get this made? It, it is a huge Easter egg for only Bob Dylan fans. You know, well, I, like, I remember when I watched it. Yeah. Like, only really recognizing the Kate Blanchett character and right. maybe a couple of the others, but not knowing like what the kid was doing or mm-hmm. what the uh, the righteous Christian guy was going on there. Right, or, or Billy like, the I, Kid. I remember parts of this. I had no clue what was going on. Yeah. I liked it anyway. 
And like the Easter egg is filled with like a million other Easter eggs. Almost every <laughs> almost every character is somebody from Bob's life or some some avatar for somebody from Bob's life. Every like storefront, every everybody just walking past. Oh, my favorite probably my favorite part of the movie that's easy at least easy to explain is that No Direction Home had come out in 2005 and it had a very um uh recognizable documentary feel to it. You know, they had just a single camera um, filming filming people talking about Dylan and the times, and it had Dylan in it as well. Um, but one part was Joan Baez talking about Dylan, the Dylan of old, and she kept kind of referring to him as this like ragamuffin, you know, this like this unwashed kid who just came and charmed everyone, and she's kind of infantilizing him. And the and the I'm not there movie has a scene <laughs> with Julianne Moore as the obvious Joan Baez character, like in the same kind of documentary style, like just calling him all these like really like funny names, you know, um, he was different. He was different back then. He was such a ragamuffin. He was such a little scamp, you know, all this stuff. So it was a very, it was an extremely narrow nod to something that had just Uh happened. It's like, I don't know how this movie got made. And I'm glad it exists, clearly. I think it's really, really good. Yeah. I mean, you've been talking about it for the last 20 minutes. So. Why don't you shut up? You better, you better be glad it exists. I am. I just saw it, okay? <laughs> Gosh. Oh, the other cool uh, part was the soundtrack, which um, on the movie was mostly Dylan songs with a few, with just a couple um, covers of his songs. But the soundtrack <laughs> is, let me count these, 34 covers. It's a two-disker. Okay. They're all new covers. Did, written. They, did it come out as one of the bootleg series? No. No Direction Home had a bootleg series. Oh, that's what I'm thinking of. Um, but this one, I mean, it's it's sprawling. It's got it's got old people. It's got new people. It's got Stephen Malcolmus as a pretty convincing mid '60s Bob. It's yeah. got Karen O singing Highway 61 Revisited. Oh yeah, I've got a couple awesome. of tracks. Cat uh, Power singing Stuck Inside a Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. I can see that. Uh, Does Shirley Gainsbourg do uh, Just Like. And she breathes the entire thing. She breathes the entire thing. And she eggs just, just like a woman. I really like Charlotte Gansberg's music, but I don't like that song. They cover. I, I don't like that cover. I think she gets way too breathy way too often. But she's really good in the movie. Yeah. She breathes this song. She just breathes it. Just breathes it. She just breathes just like it. a woman. Uh, Jack Johnson does the worst Mama You've Been on My Mind I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> There's some duds on here, but it's a pretty high batting average. And then yeah. it closes with a heretofore in 2007 unreleased Basement Tapes song called I'm Not There, which I don't even know if it was on very many bootlegs at the time. So that was kind of a treat. That's the name of the movie. And I got that. <laughs> Wait. Good reference. Bring, way to bring it, bring it right around here. I'm bringing it all back Circular. home. That's the, another name of a Dylan album. Yeah, okay. And I'm not there anymore because it's your turn Get to talk about Bowie in 2007. All right. Go. 2007! It was also a year in which Bowie did not do very much. Uh, it is deep in, since we have not managed to come up with a bad pun so for this episode, as far as I can remember. Yeah, we tried. We're going to use my, my most popular bad pun. This is part of what I like to refer to, or I don't know, like to isn't quite the right word. It's what I refer to as the Davecation. Yeah. In the period between 2004 and 
2012 and was Bowie just kind of like sat around and was a dad and occasionally did stuff but did not release albums or tour why would you do or that? anything like that it was precipitated by a heart attack while uh, performing in 2004 which he recovered from just fine um, and then just kept not doing much stuff but he was kind of a stay at home dad and you know I'm sure it was good for him as a person but not a lot happened but we can take a look, quick look at the few things that did happen. So, number one, he curated the Highline Festival. Oh, great. Do you he... know what the Highline Festival is? I have no uh, idea. I vaguely have heard of the names. I did not. But it included bands such as Arcade Fire, TV on the Radio, Deerhoof, Daniel Johnson, the legendary Stardust Cowboy, oh, again. <laughs> Free, Lori Anderson, and Air. <laughs> oh, that's a pretty, Thank you, pretty I, sweet lineup. I've gotten lineup. into the legendary Stardust Cowboy about, I think it was the 2002 episode at a different uh, festival that Bowie curated. Right. But I won't go into it too much here. You don't have to. More notable for this festival is uh, another other guest was Ricky Gervais, the yeah. actor, uh, most famous for originating the original, original version of The Office. Right. In the UK. Yep. Um, after he was done with The Office, he had another show called Extras. Okay. Which I've seen the first season it's pretty hilarious. The basic concept is that Ricky Gervais and some lady who he's friends with are extras for movies and TVs and stuff. They're just, you know, with people wandering around in the background all the time. And he's working very hard to actually get a break and, you know, get a career at some point, some kind. Um, and every episode has a guest star from a legitimate giant star. Okay. And they all play like themselves, but some kind of weird twisted versions of themselves. Okay. So in season two of this show, Ricky Gervais actually makes it. He gets his own show. Um, he wrote a script for it, and it got picked up as a show, and he's starring in it, except the BBC changed it dramatically, so it's a really awful show. <laughs> but he's still starring in it, and it's incredibly popular. Okay. <laughs> so it's like lowest common denominator, full of puns and bad jokes like, and all kinds like of stuff. Like this podcast. Like this podcast. Well, there's a little, maybe a little more artistic integrity. Minus the, minus the famous part, for sure. Minus the famous part. Yeah. And so he's kind of stuck because he's been trying to get, you know, recognition and fame all along here, um, which he has now, but he hates what he's doing. Yeah. So he, in one episode in the second season, he uh, is at this, like, swanky club. And this is a 2006 episode, which we'll talk more about in 2006. I don't know, I'm going to talk about it now. But he runs into David Bowie. Whoa. And he's talking to David Bowie about how he, you know, is just not sure what to do. He's like, like it's losing artistic integrity. And Bowie seems like he's really like thoughtfully listening. And then he just kind of rolls over to a piano and starts singing this really like horrible song about him, about Ricky Gervais' character, <laughs> okay. insulting him the entire time. <laughs> the name of the song is Pug Nosed Face. <laughs> There's a lot of jokes about him being chubby. And he gets the entire club to sing along with him to this like classy song about how... Like, what a, what a giant loser for Gervais' character is. It's wow. hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. It's like okay. a three-minute clip from the episode. Okay. Love anyway, it. so Ricky Gervais performs at this festival in 2007. Yeah. Bowie, who ended up not performing, everyone thought he was going to perform, and he decided oh. not to. He uh, introduces Ricky Gervais uh, by singing the song and getting the entire audience to sing along with his <laughs> pug nose face before Ricky Gervais comes on. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's, it's uh, fabulous. It's that's fabulous. So that is in itself is a you know colorful little fun anecdote. Nice what anecdote. What we 
can bring to this, though, Jake, is the fact that this is the last time Bowie will ever perform a song of any kind live. What? That's it. That's it? That's it. I mean, and this is not like a true performance. It's just him singing along. So, you know, his you last... He has, he has some actual song performances in 2006 that I would probably consider his last true performance. Okay. It's the last time of any kind that he performs a song live. That is a great... That's it. That's a great trivia question for now and ever. Right, well, and depending on the trivia, people, you know, it might, they might not consider it this one. But I it's would. notable. Come on. It's notable. Come on, trivia people. So, that's a little notable thing from 2007. Well, thank you for sharing. There, I thought it was a pretty good anecdote. That is a good anecdote. I thought you would, thought you would enjoy that one. I did. A couple other quick little uh, wrap-up things here. Bowie's record label released uh, 20 digital singles from him from what? the early 80s to 1990s. Oh. So, Bowie's going to get 20 points when he gets points. No, he's, you know, no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> Over my dead body. I'm <laughs> no, just kidding. They're, they're all reissues. They've all previously been released. But it is interesting like that. Yeah. This is Big Flood. On all these really obscure, because it has all the they, they each have all the B-sides and all the remixes and everything on them. Okay. So, there's, it's a lot of music that suddenly became way more accessible. Yeah. It's notable. That's so this actually. is this is like the heyday of iTunes, I would say, right? Like oh, yeah. the absolute pinnacle yeah, of iTunes. Everything is still like breaking in there, and you know. Yeah. Other notable thing, Bowie won a Webby Award. Oh, good for him! I won. I know. One. He won the he won the Lifetime Achievement Award for the Webbies from the Webbies. The Webbies, yep. <laughs> How long have the Webbies been around? Well, I think that was somehow like it's the seventh annual Webbies already. I haven't looked this up. But uh, 2007, you know, the Webby's can't be along too long. I mean, what with them being about the web and all. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Unless it would, it yeah. used to, it used to be an awards show for spiders, and now, and now it's oh, they spiders switched from over. Mars connections tons? Yeah, yep. No, oh, the band in 1996. Huh. Thanks, Webby's. Never mind. Good <laughs> one, Webby's. Well done. <laughs> you know, I think this podcast is going to get a lifetime achievement award from the Webby's. Well, let's hope so. Yeah. Anyway, Bowie legitimately was very uh, on top of doing stuff with with internet. You know, he was he was really kind of cutting edge with that. He was the first major artist to release a digital only single. Right. Uh, he had you know he started his own website in '98, and it was like a web server. Like you could at one point. I could have. I wish I could have done this jig now. But I could yeah. have gotten my own email address that was, you know, charlie at davidbowie.com. Oh, man. That'd be so swaggy. <laughs> It'd be so, so sweet. sweet. Oh, man. <laughs> he released some. Um, only was 98 was again. Only available to subscribers of BowieNet. He had a Bowie Arts website at one point. Like, he was all over this stuff. Yeah. And with changing times, you know, it's all just like, now he's just got a pretty standard website. Well, you can't really you can't so, really stand out these days, but it was worthy of a lifetime achievement award, Webby. Thanks, Webby. And Bowie actually showed up and collected it. Oh, he did. He did. Oh, he's he did. like he showed up for he's it. Like, man, I've I got nothing else going could quite on. Believe it. Nobody really knew what was going on. That's like when those actors and actresses show up for their raz those their razzies or whatever. Oh yeah, well, it goes crazy. Yeah. Kind of like that. No, I like it. A bit. Good, thanks, Bowie. Next up on our hit list is uh, Bowie did make a, an acting appearance in 2007. A what? In a, in a, in a in an acting appearance. Oh, acting appearance. In a cinematic giant. Perhaps you've heard of a little made-for-TV movie <laughs> called 
SpongeBob Atlantis Square Pantis? <laughs> I I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, it's not even a made-for-TV movie. It's just like an extra-long episode of SpongeBob. Yeah, he was. Big I have never too. I had never watched SpongeBob before this. I did watch it with my kids in preparation for this yeah. episode. It was okay. Did you get a headache? Like the episode in general was okay. I no, find, I did not get a headache. I find it, shri- it. I find it very shrill. Yeah, I could see that. Sometimes well, it's funny though. That's shrill. We watched a couple episodes afterwards, a couple like normal length ones. Okay. But um, Bowie is legitimately hilarious in it. Does he? Like, play... If I didn't know it was Bowie, I I would not have realized. Like I wouldn't have thought it was him. His voice is very. You're gonna talk like this. Oh. It's very like highbrow, but British. It's really it's really funny. Uh, his character is called like his lawyer, his royal. I didn't write it down. His royal highness. I think he's like the king of Atlantis. Uh, he looks like a blue meanie from the Yellow Submarine movie. Okay. Like, like literally. Pretty, by lot, he looks a lot like a blue oh, meanie. Okay. Yes, he does. It like was an homage. Face, like big red lips and everything. Okay. Okay. He has two different colored eyes, which Bowie doesn't actually have two different colored eyes in real life. He had one was one of his eyes was had permanently. Uh, what am I trying to say? I'm gonna stop talking. Anyway, yep. the character has we went over that. Two different colored eyes, making it look a little more Bowie, and uh, it's interesting. The kids really liked it. So, okay. but apparently Bowie, uh, his daughter at the time, he had a young daughter. She would have been six or seven at that time. Apparently, she was a big fan of SpongeBob. Yeah, right. So you gotta respect the guy. Like I would totally do that for my kids if they were into something, and I was internationally famous rock star. I would totally just act in their favorite cartoon. It'd be great. I think so, you should. I think you should become famous one. and then act in a cartoon. Um, on top of it, I'm working on this podcast, which I think is going to be pretty yeah, big. pretty big. <laughs> pretty nice. It's going to be my step up <laughs> the big times. <laughs> All right. We Just got past change. that, Jake. Let's talk. Let's dig in here to a little bigger piece of 2007. Mm. <clears throat> so Bowie, in spite of not releasing any albums, during the vacation, like any studio albums or new material. There were several archival live albums released. And notably, there was one in 2007 for the 20th anniversary of the show itself. A live album from 1987 emerged. Yes. It emerged as bonus discs on the DVD reissue of the original 1988 VHS of the 1987 concert. Yes. Yeah, sure you do. I've seen part of this. Yeah, you have. You've seen part of the... I have. Anyway, Bowie released, he he toured in 87, the Glass Spider Tour. Yes. It was this big, overblown, more is more, (laughs) giant rock spectacular. Yeah. uh, Which not a lot of people liked, but people were impressed with. (laughs) They didn't like it, but they were impressed with it. Uh, it was released, one of the shows was recorded um, in video, and it was released on VHS in 1988. It was released as DVD in 2007, Okay. and bonus discs were audio of, not the same show, different show, okay. different show from the same tour, came out on audio only then. Uh, for those of us who didn't already own this, which was me, this yeah. came out finally on a, as, a, as, a, as a standalone release with the most recent David Boyd box set, Loving uh-huh. the Alien, in October. All coming around here. Wow. A lot of stuff Anyway, happened. this little number, Jake, let's talk about it. Let's. It's very theatrical, the tour as a general. Yep. Like I said, more is more is a good, like, there's just so much of everything. This is a giant, like, metal spider above the stage and yep. stuff. 
Check. And giant video screens, which are still kind of a new thing in 87. Check. There were dancers, you know, doing choreographed dances all over the place. There's these weird little, like, vignettes with this strangely avant-garde dialogue, which I'll get to in a second. <laughs> and most notably, perhaps, <laughs> yep. there's Peter Frampton. Yes. Just being like a guy in the band. He was just there. He was, he was the lead guitarist. Yeah. He's no Mick, yeah. but he's Peter Frampton, all right. No, he's Peter Frampton, you know? No, can I just... Uh, you, you, might have, you, might have, you might be on your way to mentioning this. I, I, I mentioned it in the episode where I talked about the Glass Spider video. <laughs> Did yeah, you... Yeah. The, the bass player. Tell me about the bass player. I don't have anything about the bass player. That guy, he had like knots in his hair. I have not seen the video, Jake. I'm saving it for 1988. Oh, never mind. I haven't seen the video. I'll stop. Which actually makes, it makes the audio a little different, audio only, which I'll get to a little bit more. Okay. It might make more sense when you actually see the video, but a lot of the stuff makes no sense when you're just listening. I would would imagine. (laughs) Anyway, sweet, sweet Peter Frampton. Uh, Yeah. Bowie in 1987 released was largely considered it to be his worst album Never Let Me Down no doubt both of which feature Peter Frampton <laughs> the album's bad it's real, it's real real bad yep he let uh, everyone down the tour features or this, this live album has eight out of the original 11 tracks from Never Let Me Down on it okay it, it makes it a little difficult to sit there because those songs are not very good yeah I, I a couple I, of them are, a couple them are decent but not very good I wouldn't do it anyway Frampton's all over all of it and I thought He's I would introduce a new, a new feature, Ooh. probably the only time it will ever show up, maybe once more in like 1988. Oh, wow. And my brand new feature, jacket is called Frampton's Frog Fracks. <laughs> I think you should have gotten 10 different puns to run by me before you picked Frampton's <laughs> I thought about it, but then Frog I stumbled across Frampton's front tracks, and I, just, <laughs> I knew I couldn't do any better. <laughs> uh, um, not too shabby. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you'd be okay with it. So I've got five Frampton's front tracks, or rather I should say five, five Frampton's front tracks for you, <laughs> that the people at home might be interested in. I'm ready. The first one won't be a surprise because I mentioned it before, but it's still extremely notable. And that is that Peter Frampton and Bowie went to school together. Yep. They were mates. Um, Bowie was, was three years older, so they didn't know each other super well, but apparently the headmaster, who was Frampton's dad, really wanted the two of them to play together in a band and stuff. Yeah, and then they did in 1987. Exactly. He, he got his wish, finally. Finally! I wonder if he was still alive by that point, I don't know. Definitely. Number two, Frampton's iconic live album, Frampton Comes Alive. Yep was the best-selling album of 1976 in the U.S. And and it was the 14th best in 1977. Yes. (laughs) It was huge. I did not take the time. I was going to do that, and I forgot. I was going to figure out uh, what ranking Bowie and Dylan's albums from 1976 were, but I forgot. I'm sorry. I've let down the people. You never... At some point when you're talking, I'll ignore you and go figure it out. You never let them down except for this one time. Oh, except for this one time. In 1978, uh, Frampton starred in a movie version of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. I knew that as well. Why do I know much? So you did know Peter? that. I don't I know. Did not know. I didn't even know there was a movie. I version. never saw it, but I I don't know why I know. It's this is like classic rock paraphernalia that I I wouldn't ever think about except it's buried in there somewhere. Okay. 
<sighs> well, I have a couple more up here. Hopefully, you don't know that. Okay. Anyway, this movie, uh, he plays Billy Shears. Yeah. As mentioned, Billy Shears. What would you do if I got to? Yeah. Yeah, that's good song. Good song. It also features such luminary stars as George Burns. Yeah. The Bee Gees. <laughs> yes. Aerosmith. Yes, I knew all about this. Steve Martin. Yeah. Alice Cooper. Uh-huh. And Earth, Wind, and Fire. All of them. And I'm pretty sure no Beatles. Nope, the Beatles wouldn't I, have any... I can't confirm it, but I don't think they were involved in it whatsoever. The Beatles didn't have anything to do with the actual Yellow Submarine, like uh, Sgt. Pepper's yeah. Lonely Hearts Club yeah. Band. They didn't want anything to do with that, let alone the right. live-action version. Right. All right. Front and front fact. Number four. Yep. Uh, from the late 90s. In the late 90s, uh, Frampton was in some infomercials okay. to promote <laughs> the e-media guitar method, a piece of instructional software represented as an alternative to taking actual guitar lessons. Oh, great. He claimed in the infomercial it was the best way to learn guitar. Oh, okay. Good. And something fun fact number five. <laughs> yes. In 1980, Frampton's favorite guitar, which was featured on the cover of Frampton Comes Alive, yeah, along with several others, were destroyed in a cargo plane crash in South America. Oh, tragic loss. He was sad about it. I bet he was. However, unbeknownst to him, someone saved that favorite guitar from the wreckage, and it ultimately returned to him in 2011. No way. That's nuts, though. That's nuts. That's quite yeah. a story. That is Somebody a... apparently like got it out of fiery wreckage. Like this one guitar, I don't know. I don't know. Well, I could get the whole story, and kept it for a while, and eventually sold it, and oh, it came to somebody who knew what it was and gave it back to Peter Frampton. That's kind of unbelievable. You know, that's a real front fract. And thus ends the <laughs> first and probably last installment of Frampton's front fract. That you know, Charles, I think I think that segment really came alive. <laughs> oh. Do you know oh. that there's a there's a Frampton Comes Alive 2 that he put out like several years later? I did not know that. Didn't, that would be didn't good. sell nearly Jake, as... Jake, tell me later. That would be a good installment for, <laughs> for Frampton's Fun Fact number part two. All I want to know is about Charlie Sexton. Can we get some... I don't have anything about Charlie Sexton here, oh, either, okay. Jake. I'm sorry. Never mind. Again, I didn't watch the video. I'm just basing it. But, but here's what I do have, Jake. All right, what do you got? So this live album, I mean, a lot of the live show, is extremely theatrical. And one of the hallmarks of this, which uh, is, is this avant-garde dialogue in between songs. Yeah. It was and a- not doing every song, every little while. You, there's some vignette going on there, and uh, it's very avant-garde and unintentionally hilarious. <laughs> yes. Especially, I suspect more so when you're just listening to it rather than watching it, but I, don't, I can't confirm I that. bet it's hilarious when you're watching it, too. That would, okay. that would right. make sense. All I don't right. know. I'm just betting. I'm guessing. Uh, well, it probably is. Anyway, I, there's something about this dialogue that it just screams late 80s, and I can't even put my finger exactly what it is. It's something about the delivery and the, of the lines themselves. Um, I do have kind of a like a fun time imagining how they got these actors, and I use actors loosely because they're obviously backup dancers who are asked to say something. <laughs> oh, so it's not Bowie doing these little things? Oh, Bowie does some too. Oh, Bowie, God. I mean, the dot. The dialogue is still ridiculous, but Bowie can act yeah, in some right, capacity, right, right. Yeah. and these people can't. Okay. <laughs> and so, I mean, I, I like to see, this, I, I'm kind of wondering, the call sheets, there's got to be something like, uh, white male, mid-twenties, uh-huh. we, uh, have attitudes. 
black male, mid-twenties, with attitude. <laughs> White female, mid-twenties, with attitude. I'm pretty sure that's all it said on LSD. So is it kind of like a, a poetry slam? Or are they like kind of like yelling this stuff out a little bit? Well, let, let me regale you with a few that oh. I have transcribed. I'm ready to be regaled. That I particularly enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, all right, so the me. beginning of the first song, it starts with some like heavy, kind of screechy guitar noodling. Okay. Punctuated periodically by Bowie yelling, Shut up! Okay. <laughs> Which is actually a callback to the song on Scary Monsters. All right. But anyway, he does this for like two minutes of this like weird guitar noodling and then, Shut up! Okay. And then it moves into this dialogue. I can't tell exactly how many people are saying this. I kind of think three, but it could be more. It's hard to tell. They get in a cluster. It's contagious. Four teenagers in a car. They fix hose pipes from the exhaust to the windows. Did you hear me? Right there in a the cluster. Whoa! You're just not good enough. You're just not educated. You're not allowed to talk about nothing. Because you're made from the wrong stuff. Wrong stuff. Wrong stuff. Wrong stuff. And then it goes into the first line. Is the song called Wrong Stuff? <laughs> no, it's not. It's actually a good song from, from uh, 1980, from Scary Monsters. That sounds terrible. Isn't that something? That's really, really bad. That's like community theater avant-garde oh, yeah, right crossover there. or something. It's, yeah, it's something. The acting, well, I tried to replicate the acting quality. I don't know. Um, I might have accidentally done it too well. <laughs> I don't know about that. A couple that. other highlights. There's, there's just some random lines that get in there anyway. All right. We can't have rock stars breathing with normal people. Oh, yeah. I want to punch a hole in the sky. That's the only line. <laughs> Great. He does want to punch a hole in the sky. Yeah. She doesn't he... take lovers, she takes hostages. Whoa. And I've got, I got one more uh, kind of vignette here for you, Jake, if you can handle it. I... This is in the form of some kind of like weird, you know, slightly rap song or something. I feel like I've been, trans- I feel like I've been transported to another dimension, but go ahead. What is it about this that sounds so 80s, Jake? I don't. So I can't figure out. I'm I can't not, tell you what it is. I think uh, it's not like they're using the word gnarly or something. You know. I'm not sure. I would. I, I would catch as big a whiff of the '80s as you. It just sounds like okay. Timelessly okay. bad theater. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Here's this one's kind of edgy, Jake. Just you know, a okay. little bit of political bent in there. Do I need to put? Do I need to put up? Put on some earmuffs? Is there bad language? No, or? no, no. I mean, we're keeping keeping this thing PG here, okay. but you know. It makes it makes you think. All right, I'm thinking. It makes you feel and makes you think. I wasn't thinking. Be- I wasn't thinking before, but now I am. Go. All right, we're, we're kind of doing this as a champ. There's multiple people. I'm playing multiple parts here, of course. But yeah, brilliantly, I might. Ugly. Oh, um, oh, <clears throat> you threw me off there, Jake. Sorry. Ugly talk, like pulling out a knife. Ugly talk, friends taking their lives. Ugly talk, like government men beating on the door with a no future plan. <laughs> Then there's Thor, son of Odin, the Thunder God, heir of the realm eternal, the mightiest warrior in the nine worlds. That was it? That was it. You wanted more? No. Why? Why did no? No, no, no. Listen, slow down now. Slow down. (laughs) If I were giving a review in the Village Voice, I would, you know, I would say, hey, you better not read the Village Voice review. Just don't read it. <laughs> Just don't. 
I mean, I'll just give you that warning right now. I, I think that you're trying as hard as you can with the dialogue you've been presented with, but I don't know why it ended on that note. I don't understand. <laughs> well, I do assume something was happening on stage. You know, there's pictures, you know, in, in like, I mean, in the booklet and everything of Bowie at the time. And at one point, he's wearing like a solid gold outfit with giant <laughs> wings on his boots. Yeah, okay. And I'm going to guess that this is him being Thor. This is my theory right now. Wow. Okay, so the, poli- so the politicians were talking some ugly talk, and then Thor came? Yeah, I don't know. Can't tell you. You know what's kind of funny? This, this reminds me of uh, something I realized recently. My, my wife and I, we're, we're not caught up on these Marvel superhero movies whatsoever. Uh-huh. But every once in a while, we'll see one of the standalone ones because it looks kind of fun. Yeah. Like we saw the Thor Ragnarok or whatever that one's called. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, good, good, we had a good, good time. And I was thinking during it, like the culture's perception, especially of Thor for some reason, before these movies came out, is... Uh-huh. So hilarious. Like, you just mentioned David Bowie, for some reason, dressing up as Thor. But then I was thinking uh-huh. about Will Ferrell and Anchorman, and how he's always like, by the son of Odin. <laughs> like, uh-huh. He's, like, talking to himself, but he's using Thor Odin's quotes. Odin's raven! <laughs> yeah, Odin's great. Odin's raven. <laughs> All right. Well, thank yeah. you for those vignettes, friend. I got one last one last pretty exciting thing from this concert, Jake, and that uh, is, I'm going to have you guess. Nick Ronson. Uh, well, no, I'm not going to have it. Nick Ronson. Bowie does a, no, no, Mick Ronson. Too bad. Mick Ronson's not here. Good, good for Mick Ronson not here. Still alive in 87. Bowie does an obvious Gilman impression during one song. He does? Mm-hmm. Ooh. When the days were the days, boys, bum, bum. When the big guys were the blue ties, bum, bum. Are you dressing up for the enemy? <laughs> and there's no one in love. And there's no one to scream. There you go. That's a performance heavy episode for me. Honestly, this is like a review. There's so this much going on right show, now. There's singing. There's, I assume you've been. I assume you've been what dancing you know? this whole time. Not that I can see you, but obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, clearly, it just got, it caught me off guard. It was I don't know why. Went into, I mean, I don't know what else we'd be doing besides channeling Dylan for those two lines. Yeah, because it's not a quote from a Dylan song or anything. He just Franny's dressing up for the enemy. You saw him hanging on the enemy. That sound familiar at all? No, not at all. Okay, not at yeah, all. Well, he just he decided did, it. So good for you. Yeah. All right, I got two last two last really short things. Um, I. Like, used up all my stuff, so I'm not going to be talking much during points. Okay. Uh, notable thing, because we were talking about that, you know, the name of our book that we're never going to get around to writing because no one will get us money to do what, it. What's but the name of the book? The name of the book, uh, Voice of the Alienated Voice of the Freaks. Yeah, that's based right. Based on that Reese Gabriel's <laughs> quote, which I still, I still love that. It's anyway, great. I was thinking about Bowie being the voice of the freaks. Uh-huh. Because I came across a passage in... The Complete David Bowie by Nicholas Pegg, my mm. number one resource for Shout doing this podcast. out. And it's in this apocrypha and miscellaneous section. Um, and it's just a notable little paragraph about what the heck goes on with Bowie's work, even when he has nothing to do with it whatsoever. Yeah. February 2007 saw the premiere at Purse Playhouse Theater of Nagaparji Nagaparji, a multimedia drama exploring the impact of nuclear testing on Australia's desert communities. <laughs> okay. The production included Bowie songs performed in the Aboriginal desert language, Pitjantjari. Oh. 
I'm apologize to anyone if I mispronounce that, which I almost yeah. certainly did. Oh, obviously. Another Australian play for Gene Bowie's songs was Michael Cantor's Sleeping Beauty, performed at Melbourne's Merlin Theatre in July 2007. Wow. In the same year, American director Elliot Kaplan devised skill work, an experimental visual symphony, which used music from Philip Glass's Bowie Symphony as a backdrop for footage of steel structures and steel workers in New York. <laughs> also in 2007, the Houston-based theater group Freneticore presented Outside, a cyberpunk drama using dance, film, and live music based on Bowie's 1995 album. In August 2007, London's Kennington Park played host to 40 local youngsters staging the Oval House Theater Summer School's open-air production of The Labyrinth based on the Jim Hansen film and including several of David's original songs. Wow. Like, there's five just completely bat-poop crazy yeah. theatrical productions inspired by Bowie. Do you if think... that's not a voice of the freaks right there, I don't know what is. Do you think... Boom. It... You didn't hear it, but I just, I just closed this giant 800-page Bowie book with a very satisfying <laughs> clump. You better open it up and slam it again right in front of the phone. Do it. Oh, that. wow. Did you hear that time? It was like yeah. a coffin being nailed down, man. <laughs> yeah. All right, last up is the year and hair. And it's like nothing. Bowie, he didn't work very hard on his hair from like, from like 2002 to 2014. It's the yeah, same hairstyle. That's coinciding the with the Davecation, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. He had his... It's a fine, just kind of, kind of normal, you know, a little bit swept back. Kind of like a guy in his 50s and 60s, which he was the whole time. Look. So, yeah, Bowie turned 60 in 2007. Oh, wow. Good for him. Yeah, yeah, way to go. Way to Bowie. I mean, his 50th birthday was marked by a gigantic concert with tons of guest stars. In 2007, I think he just, like, sat around the house with his PJs and drank a glass of wine. He, my, uh, own, my own personal theory. I don't know. <laughs> Probably. He was watching SpongeBob and a 1987 re-release of the Glass Spider tour. No, he probably didn't even know that happened. <laughs> he didn't even know that happened. He signed off on it at one point, and I was like, "Yeah, whatever, they'll probably do it." Yeah, I'm not adding anything to it. Come on, guys, <laughs> put it out if you if you must. He dressed up in his gold Thor costume. <laughs> yes, he did. He, he did. Up on the table. And I wonder if he. I wonder if he accidentally just... broke. Accidentally broke the wings on the back. He's like, oh, man, that sucks, man. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, man. I the wings on my soul boots. Oh, my soul boots, man. <laughs> I wonder if he just went downstairs to his archives every once in a while and just, like, you know, lightly brushed his hand against some of the, the gold costumes and stuff and reminisced. Know. I mean, he had a giant archive. I know. You've seen yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, it's still there. Right, like, the archive did that not, guy archived, like, it did not die with him, so... That's one of my dreams, is just to stroll through that archive for some reason. Yeah. You could... That would be pretty sweet until I get arrested. If you if you did that, I think the next podcast would be, like, 18 hours long. <laughs> from jail. From, from jail. We'll be Live from Utica podcast. State Penitentiary. <laughs> <laughs> it's me, Chaz. <laughs> they won't give me a phone, but I'm going to talk anyway. <laughs> Let's, Let's get some points. Ended up being longer than expected. But yeah, hey, well, you know, are. I had to explain and reenact the entire "I'm Not There" movie, and you had to do <laughs> an entire community theater performance of the Glass Spider tour. <laughs> <laughs> These things had to happen. <laughs> uh, all right, all right, Put it up here, Jake. All, all right, right, so this is usually Charlie's job, but in case you don't know, listeners. 
we have a complicated and ever-changing, but, you know, mostly solidified codification of points that we give our artists based on what they did in any given year. And the, the part that's different is that there can be negative points if something's truly less than zero. So for Dylan in 2007, he didn't do that much, but he did, um, I guess, sign off on this single, this uh, 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 Milk Guai End Mine. <laughs> Thank you. Remixed and reimagined by not Mick Ronson. Uh, and is a legal I, name I heard. I heard I, this is legal first name, not Mark. It's not, Mick. not oh, Mick. I screwed up. Yeah, you did. It is Mark. Yeah, that's right. Not Mick, but Mark Ronson. That's not me. Mick Ronson. Um, I, for short. I don't think it's worth negative negative points, really, but I was bothered yeah. by it and disturbed by it. So I'm going to give it negative point five. Okay. I don't know. Why not? Um, the tour was uh, my my... Uh, my thought with tours that are like fine, but not, you know, special in any way is I just give him uh-huh. a plus point five. you know, he, okay. he yeah, did it again. Enough. He did another hundred, in the effort. hundred plus there. shows. It was good. It wasn't bad. So I give it a plus point five. Um, he put out the greatest hits, the career spanning greatest hits called Dylan. And I'm going to give it a plus point five because it's not, it's not terrible. Like volume three. Um, uh-huh. and, but you know. I can't give it a full point. It's not like, I don't know. Dylan has in, I think in the public imagination, he has three volumes of greatest hits. I don't know that anyone yeah. really refers to this one, but it's fine. So it kind of cancels out the, ter- the, the, the single. And then for the entirety of I'm not there, because he wasn't truly involved. He's, yeah. he's in the, he's in the movie at the very end. It's all of his songs. He, he had some sort of, relationship with it plus and then I'll, I'll just throw in the soundtrack on here too um, i'm just going to give the entire thing a point the movie yeah i'll let it happen this yeah is kind of like, i know normally, I, normally we wouldn't since he didn't put in like new effort right but this one but seems it's so it's so related to him in such a right and it's about yeah, sure. like his deepest psychological something or others i don't know i just if i felt like the whole the whole thing should get a point uh um, Okay, so that brings us to... Oh, I can't believe I didn't add this up. I'm so embarrassed. 1.5. Total. Okay. There you have it. Nice one, Dylan. Yeah, way to go, Dylan. All right, well, for Bowie, we we don't have much to actually point out here. Right. Most notable is the Glass Spider live album. Yeah. That was the first time in 2007, was the first time it had been released as a live album. Live albums have a... Possible swing of negative three to three, uh, depending on where they go. This one is, it's just too much. Like, it's just so, it's so much the period. Everything's like, it's just this over the top, and and the guitars are all too loud and grating, and I don't know, there's too many synths going on in the background, and it's so, yeah. it's just aged so badly, too. Yeah, yeah. And then the unintentionally hilarious, like, stuff in there, it just brings it down. <laughs> so I, it's not. I don't know. It's not great. I'm going to give it a negative one. Negative one, okay. Yeah. It's Bowie's probably second worst live album after the uh, the Tin Machine live album. It's not completely... The other thing about it is there's so many different... There's so many songs from Never Let Me Down that just... Right. In the second half, and they're most in the and most of them are in the first disc, the two-disc. The second disc has a lot of older stuff, and I found myself enjoying it more. 
because it's got better songs. <laughs> There's that too. Yeah, that's that's so, important. Yeah, negative one. That's All right. Fine. And then SpongeBob Atlanta Square Pantus. <laughs> uh, yes. It, I mean, this was not a bad performance, but I, I kind of figured going into this, this would probably be like a zero pointer. Yeah. But he threw himself into this with such gusto. This would have been the easiest thing in the entire world to phone in. How right. easy would it be to phone in a 40 minute SpongeBob SquarePants cartoon? I guess pretty in which easy. Nobody even knows you're there. And he did not do that. Like he and I read a little bit about his process. Like he came in with three voices all ready to go, wow. and like re-recorded different lines, and they were all you know like they were all very impressed. And again, like I didn't even I wouldn't have even thought it was him if I didn't know it was him because his voice is so different. And for that, in a year we didn't do much else. I'm giving him half a point. All right. So he ends the, he ends it with negative point five. <laughs> yeah, but that's not. It doesn't seem like a negative year. Just just. No, I mean, it, it doesn't. It, it seems right, to, though, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Glass right. Spider stinks, so. Yeah, it kind of stinks. That's yeah, true. what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Oh, I wanted to mention before we go, uh, Kate Blanchett won the Golden Globe for her performance in I'm Not There, and she was also nice. nominated for an Oscar <laughs> for it. Nice, good for, for her. Best Supporting She's Actress. Awesome, I thought she, I don't know who actually She's won that actress. year, but she should have like won. It. It's, it's pretty great. It is. It is, that's true. So, uh, Dylan wins. Did he win last time, too? Yeah, he did. Okay. All right. So, two in a row here after, like, a, like 18 in a row for Bowie. Yeah, we had, like, I think it was five Bowie's in a row. This is Bowie's second negative year in a row. So yeah. Yeah, this one doesn't feel that bad. I don't know. No, it doesn't. All right. No, well, where are we going next year? Next time. 1967. Wow. That's going to be a lot to talk about. live album. Not live album. Bowie's very first album, his first studio album, in 1967. Wow, that'll be an interesting little trip. Yeah, and Dylan had his first major career crisis slash breakdown in 1967. Ooh, yeah, first of many. Woo. And Jake, we're gonna finally get to dip our toes into the laughing gnome. Can't wait. I'm, I'm, gonna, leave it, I'm gonna leave it at that. Just leave it right there. Let Just somebody leave it there. The laughing gnome. It's your prominent place, no doubt, in 1967. It's right there in front of you, audience. You can pick it up, or you don't have to, but it's there. <laughs> it's on your lawn. It's laughing. You might be scared of it, but it's uh, it's there. It's there. All right. All right. You guys, should, all you listeners out there, should now go over to our Spotify playlist and listen to some sweet tracks. Yes. <laughs> I have picked out several already from the uh, that include the, the awful dialogue. Oh man! From my uh, glass spider. So if you're curious, and I included the uh, the song '87 Cry," which has the Dylan impression in it. And I might just I might just slap the entire "I'm Not There" soundtrack on that playlist. <laughs> it's pretty good. Okay, Jake. Yep. All right, there. <laughs> okay. Settle well, down. Have to have a good time, all of you out there in listener dumb. I don't even know what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't. We st- we still need to sign up. Um, I'm Charlie, and I like Bowie. (laughs) I'm Jake, and I still love Dylan. Bye.